Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hey, Benno here talking with Joe Boyd, CEO of two different businesses, a former pastor, an improv comedian, all in one. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. So I, I've got to tell you, Joe, just a few months ago, I became very conscious of the fact that I'm at my personal best when I'm at two extremes simultaneously. One extreme, I'm very prepared. And the other extreme, I'm completely curious and open and just making that, all that preparation you know, obsolete. And interviewing an improv comedian, I'm not sure which of the two extremes I should focus on. <laughs> but what do you think? I'm required to say yes and, which is our uh, mantra. So yeah, it's both. It's got to be both, right? That you're uh, pre prepared, but also prepared for uh, to change, prepared for to accept what comes in front of us and and change accordingly. Just to clarify for people, people usually tend to think of stand-up comedy when they hear improv comedy, which makes sense because there's a bunch of stand-up clubs called the Improv. So I totally get it. Uh, it's kind of insider baseball talk for comedy. But I was with the Second City. Uh, we did improvisational comedy, which was done with other people. So you're kind of doing scenes on stage that were never written. You're making them up in the moment. Something like Whose Line Is It Anyway would be like a, a popular, famous version of that. And the first thing they teach us is to uh, to say yes and and to prepare yourself, but don't prepare the scene. So I've used that throughout my whole life that, of course, you want to be uh, prepared for anything that, can, that uh, you walk into. But 99 times out of 100, it's not going to go the way you planned. So the key is to be ready when that moment comes to adapt. Prepare yourself, but not the scene. That's pretty profound, actually. I like that. That, that also ties into some of my, uh, you know, I went to seminary and, and one, of the, one of the things they talk about is sort of more Eastern thinkers, Eastern mentors, mystics, whatever you call them, versus Western thinking. And I always remembered when it came when it came to like preparing to teach someone as a teacher, I have no idea who said it or if it was just like a, a combination of teachings that got condensed down to a statement. But the idea is in the, in the Eastern world that they prepare the teacher, not the teaching. And typically in the Western world, the, the thinking is more, I'm going to prepare the teaching, not the teacher. So that, that very much is similar to the improv idea here is that All of life is a preparation for every moment that you come into. And, and the more you work on preparing yourself for whatever can come, you know, the, the better chance, the best part of yourself will show up in the moment. It doesn't mean you don't prepare the teaching, but, you know, now in the business world, if it's something like, a, you know, I think of like a big pitch to a client. Of course, you want to be totally prepared for that. But any of us who have ever done that know you never actually get through your pitch and someone interrupts and then, or something technically goes wrong. <laughs> and then, then you're, then it's over. All the preparation's over. And now you're, you fall back to, are you prepared for anything? Like the, um, Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the nose, right? 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so just as a, as a quick introduction to our listeners, would it be fair to introduce you as a person who led a church as a pastor, then left to become an improv performer and an accomplished actor, and you're now the founder and CEO of a video production company, Rebel Pilgrim in Cincinnati, where, by the way, you guys do amazing storytelling workshops. I, I was invited to one a few years ago and loved it and still use that five-step process And when, when I think through storytelling That's today. Great. And recently you became, you took on a second CEO role for, for LeaderCast. Is that a fair introduction? I think it's fair, except for I'm not sure about the word accomplished before actor. <laughs> You've been on TV, I haven't. I was a working actor for a while. <laughs> I don't know how accomplished it was, but yeah, that's that's basically my story. You got it right. All right. All right. So I, I, I want to learn more about, you know, how improv has influenced you in life, in business, as, as a CEO. I call the podcast Third Growth Option because we're always looking for sort of the, the non-obvious, unconventional ideas on growth. So... Who better to ask than a guy with two CEO titles and an improv performer all, all in one? What, what do you love the most about improv? As a performer, I, I, I loved, it, it took reflection. You know, I, as I was doing it, I would have just said, well, I love it because I, I'm pretty natural and good at it. And I feel like I enjoy not having to think and just be able to be and to do and to have generally positive response from it, from myself and others. As I look back on, you know, I still perform every once in a while, not, not during COVID, obviously, but when I have the opportunity to do it, I think it, it forces you in the moment. It really is so much about listening and observing and reacting. And all of life is like that, but we forget. And so I love that there are really no stakes. You could say low stakes, but the absolute worst thing that could happen is that you're awful and I'm not funny. <laughs> right. And uh, it's not, it, it's fine. It's fine. So it's not like you're, you're playing this high stakes game. And uh, the other thing, even in an improv show, you, you get to get up and do a new scene. That might be awesome if your last one wasn't great. So it's, it's disposable in a sense, which I like. And all of that is because it exists in one moment and it, it was not, it was not prepared and it, it isn't, you know, saved for posterity. It's not edited afterwards. It is what it is and it's over. And then a new one begins. So I think, you know, is it the thing I love the most about it was being present and how it forced you to be present. And if you couldn't figure out how to be present, you quit because it was so frustrating. But if you could figure that out and that I think in almost like a, I know there's an irony to my story that I, I quit. I basically left the church work and had a sort of spiritual renewal in improv comedy. And so much of that was just when you're that, when you're focused on being present, you find yourself and you accept yourself as you are kind of stuff. So this idea of yes and in business, there is a lot of pressure for us to prioritize, right? To say, well, we can't do everything. We can't be everything to everybody. So we have to prioritize. And yes and feels like the opposite, maybe not the opposite of that, but certainly feels like it's on the other end of the spectrum. Does it create a challenge for you to stay focused in your CEO roles because of this yes and mindset? 
Yeah, I think it can. And I think I've had to learn what a yes and mentality in life looks like because it it doesn't mean saying yes to every opportunity that comes your way, but it means accepting the truth that's in front of you and then trying to add to what is in front of you. So admittedly, it works well with my personality. I'm uh, not terribly naturally structured. I like every day to be a little different. I prefer reacting often to preparing for things sometimes. And so to be another way to say is like, if if I have five or six projects going at once, I feel more effective than if I'm only doing one because I can kind of go back and forth. So the way I work may not work for everyone, I guess is what I'm saying. But for the yes and part, to me, it's about not being in denial, about accepting what's in front of you. And uh, I think I think a lot of us live more in denial than we want to. We we live stuck in our perceptions and not taking the time to really think is what is really going on right now. What what is really being offered to me? What is what is the obstacle in front of me really? And what am I going to do about it? And so that's how it works out for me. And just to clarify a little bit, because it's straight up in comedy world for improv. It's pretty literal when you first learn to do improvisation. So you might start a scene with a friend and you would start the scene with a statement like, doctor, there's a problem. And then if you said that to me, Benno, and we were doing a scene together in front of an audience, I need to say yes to that or it just won't work. But as in, when you first learn improv, all your instincts are no, because I might have come into the scene wanting to be a zookeeper, but you just made me a doctor. And so my instinct's going to be, no, I'm not a doctor. I'm a zookeeper. Or, no, there's no problem. And that immediately shuts down the story. There's no story until you say yes. So, And then you say and. So I say, yes, there's a problem. And this cat's going to die if we don't operate soon. So now I have added a situation. I've, I've clarified that I'm a veterinarian doctor. And then you would say yes to that. You wouldn't say, no, that cat's not dying. And so just, I know it's, it's uh, maybe comedy nerd stuff that your listeners don't want to care about, but that's how I learned it. It was saying yes to each moment to what's actually happening and not forcing my will upon the scene. But the and part means I get to add to it. So I am part of it. It's a, it's a story that we're telling back and forth. So in real life, when someone comes up to me and says, there's a problem, I don't say, no, there's not a problem. I accept that they at least believe there is one. So yes, and let's, let's see what we can do about it. Or if there's an opportunity, I don't say, that's not for me immediately. I want to learn what it is and then make a decision on whether it's for me or not. I don't think this is um, improv comedy nerd stuff at all because <laughs> I could, no, I, I, I can totally see how it applies to life and business and, and, you know, being in front of a client or being in, you know, with your team. You know, when, when you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, you talked about the 10 second. Yes. Talk me through that a little bit. How, how does that work? What is that? What do you mean by that? Yeah, anything someone anytime someone brings up an idea to me that I doesn't instantly register as terribly unethical or illegal, then I'll give it ten seconds. So I, I just think it's an imagination exercise. So you know, if you say, "Hey, let's let's both quit our jobs and start a brewery," I'll give that ten seconds. Sure. What would that mean for everything in my life? What do I know how to make beer? And I'd say I don't think that's for me after ten seconds. But I I like to give it. That's a weird off the wall example, but. Where it might come up is in a meeting, if, if maybe someone who has an idea about, you know, we do creative work. So we do videos and uh, commercials and live events and all sorts of stuff. 
someone might have an idea that no one had thought of. And maybe it was an even idea that we tried years ago, but didn't work. And so sometimes your response is immediately, we tried that, it doesn't work. Where I would rather give it 10 seconds to say, well, it didn't work last time, but maybe it works in this situation. Let's think about that for, for at least 10 seconds. Let's say yes. What if we did that? And I, I think that's something you don't, you don't even have to do it out loud. But if you kind of go through life with that mentality that you're, gonna, you're going to give whatever comes your way, sort of the respect of acknowledging the idea, then it, for me, I don't know what percentage, but maybe 10 or 15% of the time I'll realize, oh yeah, that, that really is better. That's interesting. Let's keep, let's keep going down that track and see where it, it takes us, which is ultimately how I became the CEO of LeaderCast this year because uh, it wasn't on my, it wasn't on, you know, on my radar at all. They, they've been a client of ours for eight years and one of our favorite clients and I love the mission and and I was just working with them and kept sort of saying yes to opportunities that came our way with them until finally, by the time they asked me to accept that position, I, I still needed to think about it a little bit to make sure it could work with what else I was doing. But I said yes, because I had said yes so many times along the way over the last eight years with them. That's a great example of how yes and and the 10 second yes is, is helping you just stay open-minded in the face of, you know, a thousand different micro and macro decisions that we all have, that we all face every day. Give me some insight into, you know, in, in at Re Rebel Pilgrim, the video production and storytelling company, how do you and your team keep growing and keep, you know, facing new opportunities? How do you guys keep growing? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. We're we're nine years, we just celebrated our nine year anniversary and i think congratulations a, yeah yeah it's uh, <laughs> uh but still uh, in some ways i don't know if you ever stop feeling like a startup as an entrepreneur um but a lot a lot of our growth has been how do we go from a startup to whatever the next level is whatever that next uh, established place is and in our particular business story you know we we adapted like crazy several times in the first four or five years to find out even what kind of company we were we didn't start off like most, I think, maybe startups in the last 10, 15 years have with a really clear vision of exactly the work we were going to do. We, we, we started as a group of collaborators and friends who told great stories together and knew that we could do that very well. And our assumption early on was we'll make feature films because we had done a couple of those and that that'll be our business model. And we made three or four of those and realized it's not working. We're not making money. <laughs> we're having a good time and we're learning a ton about story. But we started then doing some, some video work for clients and that worked really well. And we actually loved it because movies take three years and you can do a, a video for Procter and Gamble in six, eight weeks. And that felt like interesting to us that we could keep doing things. That sort of led to us realizing that we our differentiator between us and most video production companies was our how steeped we were in story and how important story was to us and a little bit that we had made movies and that we thought sort of rather cinematically at times. And so that opened up to us being sort of consultants on story and helping just people think through a story. And some of our clients then became companies or organizations that would use us just to figure out their story and, and not necessarily to, to make videos. And so I think not too long to get the story too much, but that that led us to live to doing more and more live events for companies, to creating creating experiences for people. 
then COVID hit and live events sort of stopped. And we've been doing a lot of like virtual experiences for people the last year. So I would say as a company, it's been, I guess, okay for us to go on a journey to find out who we really are, almost like a person. How we grow together, I think, is what I would say over the last couple of years is being willing to let go as we grow. People letting go of the right things is super important. And so the big one this year, of course, is with with me running two companies. I, I can't do everything at both. So what can I let go of here at RP that actually makes the team stronger? And what we found is there were things I was doing sort of in the day-to-day that other people could do, and, and even some of them other people, they've, they've done it better. <laughs> so I should have done that a long time ago, except that I, I think... <laughs> Hello. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I was sort of stuck in thinking, well, I should at least work like 50 hours a week. I'm the CEO. So I should do all this stuff. But there are other stuff that could do it better. Other people could do it better. So, man, that was a long winded answer to your question. But I think, I think, I guess there's like a long tail and a short tail way to answer that. The long tail way of our company has been that we're open to shift until we find, and I think we're getting closer and closer to really finding what, what we are uniquely bringing to the marketplace. And then just person to person also being able to, being willing to shift and let go of that thing that maybe you love to do, but maybe it's time for someone else to do that for a while. And throughout this description of you know how you and your team are growing the video production company, you know the, the, the overarching theme is be true to yourself and be in the moment. Is that fair or... Yeah, I think that is fair and it would make sense with all the stuff I said before because that's very important to me. But I also, yes, the true to yourself part, I, I, I do believe, but I think there's a, there's a reality in what we do that it's, it's part art and part commerce that we are in business to, to make products for people and the products need to be useful. And so it's sort of like maybe those are parts of the Venn diagram, but the other part of the Venn diagram is who do we serve and what do they need and what do they want from us? Because the truest of artists can be true to themselves and not, not care at all what anybody thinks about them. Generally, those people are very poor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and after they die, we look back and see their genius. So in business, of course, my take is we bring a little bit of that edge, that artistic creative edge to our partners, but we're also collaborative and understand that we're doing this together and what do you really need from us? We're not as well as is super important. Yeah. And, and, and I, I appreciate you making the distinction between being true to yourself in a sort of egocentric, selfish or self-absorbed way versus I meant it more being true to yourself. How can I collaborate with others? How can I help clients in a way that only I uniquely can do as opposed to me trying to do instead of me trying to be Joe Boyd, I'm trying to be Benno, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a really good decision on your part. I thought so. It's, exhaust- <laughs> it's exhausting over here. Um, yeah, here yeah, too. Th- here too, Joe. <laughs> I think I probably, I think I understood what you meant when you said to be true to yourself in that context, but because virtually my whole life has been around artists and creatives, I might get triggered by that phrase a little. I got you. Uh, no, I used fair. to say, and I used to say it too, but I do think, the problem is it's like it's like saying if someone buys a lottery ticket that if you tell them you're wasting your money, the reality is somebody does win. And that's always the argument, right? Yeah, I know. But and there always is someone that stays 
crazy true to themselves in an artistic sense and ends up becoming Michelangelo or Lady Gaga or whoever you're into. So that does happen sometimes, but most people that are doing creative work have to find that sort of Venn diagram of what you're good at, what fulfills you, and what the marketplace wants. I think that has been the hardest part for us to figure out. We kind of had the first two down. So it took us three, four, five years to really narrow in to what the marketplace wants that we have to offer, which is, I think, what you're saying. That's right. Speaking about sort of, you know, trial and error, what what would you say has been the the biggest failure without which you wouldn't be where you are today? Uh, there's so many. Business or company-wise? <laughs> I mean, business or personal. Yeah. You know, personally, like, I was joking about not being an acclaimed actor, but I, I was, actor stories are like fish fisherman stories. You know, the one that got away over and over and over. But I, uh, I did pretty well for a while in the comedy acting world and had several callbacks to be on, like, series regulars on TV shows like The Office and things like that. And so it never quite worked out for me. And that definitely registered and still sometimes does register as a failure. And if I'd given it a couple more years, would I have just been a performer? And when I, when I get like bummed out thinking that way, I think of everything that has come into my life since then. And nothing I'm doing right now would have come into my life had that worked out for me, if you will. And I had a lot of career changes and I think between ages like 25 and 35, I, I was trying lots of things to figure out what worked for me. And even I generally was pretty good at things, but I would quit them because I didn't enjoy them. <laughs> and I think that that felt like a failure at times. But I'm sure this is sort of everyone's story when you think about it. it it's, it's those failures or misses or miscalculations that ultimately a lot of the good stuff in your life comes out of. And for us as a company, it's probably similar. It's, it's that our first business plan didn't work out well. But instead of shutting the company down and saying, well, we tried to make movies and the market's shifting from DVDs to streaming and we can't figure it out, we said, no, we're going to stay together because we got something special here. So what, what's next? I did a TEDx talk like many years ago on failure and how it's, it's sort of a pathway to success if you just are disciplined to fail enough. <laughs> then you'll be successful. For about three years after that, everyone wanted me to speak on failure, and I didn't love that. <laughs> yeah, that's I was a like, I had a point sword. to make, but I don't want to keep, <laughs> I don't want to be known as the failure guy. Like, right, right. But, but, but what you're talking about is using misses as building blocks instead of as, as concrete barriers. That's a shorter, better way to say it. Yes, exactly, yeah. Are there certain growth, you know, pieces of, advice, growth advice that you, that you find yourself sort of giving to clients over and over again? We, we are very driven by story and story theory um, and use the hero's journey or monomyth, which is an academic study led by Joseph Campbell that has sort of, you know, in its academic world has like 26 steps of every great story. And they're almost always the same in every story. We narrow that down to five. But what, what I constantly hear myself telling the clients is you're not the hero of this story. The people you're serving are. And so it really doesn't matter if you're selling deodorant or running a animal shelter. You're not the hero. You're the mentor. You're the one that comes along and gives the hero what they need to get their treasure. So 
I think, especially in terms of whether it's marketing and, and a lot of what we do is also sort of internal, you know, culture work within companies is don't lose sight of the fact that you're, you're playing a role in these people's lives and it's, it's not for them to like you. That's, it's, it's not for you. This is their story that you're, you're being invited into. So I think that a lot on a very practical level when it comes to like videos and things, I think telling people that people can only think about one thing at a time. So I know you want 10 calls to action in this video, but it's just, it's going to confuse people. <laughs> uh, like really trying to get people to narrow down to one point, one story, one message at a time. And a lot of times people try to cram everything into one deal and it becomes sort of a monster. I give that advice a lot. I, I tell people that every decision people make is emotional, which I, I think can be backed up by science. We use logic to justify our decisions, but when we actually make a decision, it's, it's an emotional decision. And so make sure that we're, we're leading with, with that emotion and then giving the data to, to explain why it's, it's a good decision to justify. But that's what's coming to mind. Those are the sorts of things I find myself saying all the time. Yeah. And uh, uh, by the way, if uh, listeners want to get into more detail around the hero's journey, it so happens we have episode number 21 with Mark Haas dedicated to to the hero's journey which was a wonderful episode my takeaways from from this conversation with you joe are be in the moment be present this idea earlier of uh improv being disposable right you can you get to do it over again i think is another way of saying let's not take ourselves too seriously we can take the work seriously but not ourselves maybe yeah a much more crass way to say it, my friend Tarek Davis, who's a, an amazing improviser, says improv is toilet paper. <laughs> you use it once, it's done. So just just move on. Just move on. But yeah, I, I mean, there's always the next day, right? If folks wanted to reach out to you and, and, and just you know ask you a question or, or, or maybe talk to you about Rebel Pilgrim or LeaderCast, and they wanted to find you a website, email address, you want to share some contact information here? Sure. I'm on Twitter. My name is Joe, just Joe Boyd on Twitter. And then on LinkedIn, should be easy to find me there. And uh, the websites are, are rebelpilgrim.com and leadercast.com uh, to learn more about those. But no, I'd be happy to personally connect. And I would say Leadercast, we're doing our first big live event coming out of COVID August 11th at the Fifth Third Arena at University of Cincinnati. It's been in Atlanta for 19 years, but we're moving it to Cincinnati this year. Uh, with some great speakers, including uh, Guy Raz uh, from How I Built This and Rain Wilson from The Office, the TV show I didn't get on, and uh, <laughs> lots, of other, great, about. <laughs> lots of other great speakers. <laughs> and so registration uh, will be open by the time you post this. So you can go to leadercast.com if you want to come live in Cincinnati or if you want to host it. We have host sites all over the world, so you can simulcast it with us if you want. Yeah, those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Thank you so much. This this was a great episode. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your thoughts and, and wisdoms with me and the group. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. Hey, uh, if folks wanted to explore uh, other growth topics, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time.
You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.